You're listening to The Health Classes You Missed. My name is Monica and I'm a secondary school health teacher with a passion for all things health. Whether you're currently at school or you finished 20 years ago, this podcast will help you understand those topics that may have been skimmed over, considered inappropriate or flat out ignored. So sit up straight, faces forward, let's get into it. These mental health episodes may be distressing for some listeners and there may be mention of suicide. If you find yourself in need of help or support at any time, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 4636 or head to beyondblue.org.au to chat to someone online today. Hello everyone. In today's episode, we are discussing anxiety, what it is and how to deal with it. So this was a highly requested episode. And I think that's because particularly in Melbourne, we're in lockdown, emotions are high, stress can be even higher and people need strategies to properly deal with these emotions. When I started this podcast, I said that I wouldn't put my personal stories, my thoughts, etc., into the episodes. However, I am a firm believer in opening up the conversation surrounding mental health, uh, and this is just in order to kind of encourage other people to do the same. Now, according to Beyond Blue in Australia, 45% of people will experience a mental health condition in their lifetime. And in any one year, over 2 million people will experience some sort of anxiety, which is crazy. That's really, really high numbers. And so, of course, I know I said the episode is requested maybe because of lockdown, and because Melbourne has been in this situation for such a long time. However, it is a really prominent mental health condition, not only in Australia, but worldwide. So normalizing experiencing, uh, I guess, the emotions that come up with mental health problems is so important in this day and age. And knowing how to open up to others or support others is absolutely fundamental to reducing the risks associated with mental health conditions. So not only am I going to give you all the facts as I normally would, uh, I will be giving some kind of anecdotal evidence or personal stories about getting a mental health plan through COVID, some strategies that have worked for me personally and this is just because I've always found it really helpful uh, especially when I was a little bit lost or confused about how all this worked it helped me to hear it personally from someone telling me exactly what they did that just really helped me at the time so I thought if I can help someone else uh, I might as well do that so first things first what is anxiety. So anxiety is our body's natural response to stress. So when you feel fearful or kind of apprehensive about something, you can experience this feeling of anxiety. Now, feeling anxious or nervous, that is completely normal for everyone. Feeling anxious is normal. That is something that most people will experience throughout their lifetime or will definitely experience throughout their lifetime. We all experience stress sometimes. We all experience worry. And this could be about anything. This could be about a job interview. Maybe you're nervous about going back to school. Maybe you have to do public speaking. I know that's something that makes me really nervous. Uh, You know, playing a footy grand final. Nerves about maybe being in a potentially dangerous situation. So anything that brings about that kind of nervous excitement or that anxious feeling, that's totally normal. We all experience it. However, 
when this anxiety becomes, I guess, too much to handle, you begin to exhibit kind of physical responses, or it stops you doing things altogether out of fear, that's when you know that it is a real problem. When it interferes with your life, uh, some people say, you know, it goes on for longer than maybe six months. Uh, You know, the, the feelings are quite intense and extreme. That's when you know that you may need some professional help. Uh, You may need to seek some sort of assistance with your mental health condition. So this is when we talk about something called anxiety disorders. So having anxiety, as I'm going to say again, that's normal. Feeling anxious, maybe experiencing that sort of normal level of anxiety, we all do it. Having anxiety disorder is a totally different story. So those anxious feelings, those normal feelings, they can be quite unpleasant, but they don't necessarily interfere with your everyday life. So these feelings can sometimes actually make people work harder. You can become more motivated, that kind of nervous energy. Sometimes that works in your favor. However, having an anxiety disorder means you are pretty much feeling a sense of fear all the time. And this can be really intense and can sometimes even be debilitating. So anxiety, you know, when it gets this serious, can stop you from enjoying your life or doing normal everyday things. And this could be something like getting in an elevator or crossing the street or just leaving your house in general. That fear, and maybe there's no real reason for it, you don't know why it's happening, is stopping you from living your life as normal. And if this is left untreated, it can get much, much worse. According to the American Psychiatric Association, women are actually more likely to be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder than men. Now, there is a few reasons for this. Maybe it is just because women do experience higher levels of stress and therefore it, you know, escalates into an anxiety disorder. It's also true that men are less likely to become diagnosed or get help for this particular disorder too. So not only is it important, you know, in this conversation that, you know, I guess I'm having today, not only is it important with this conversation that we're having today in terms of, you know, what is anxiety, talking about how you can help yourself or help the people around you is really, really important too. So there are a few types of anxiety disorders. Now, this is according to Healthline. So the first is panic disorder. And this is when people experience recurring panic attacks at unexpected times. And this can cause people to kind of live in fear of the next panic attack because you don't really know what's going to trigger you or when it's going to happen. The second is phobia. So this is having kind of an excessive fear of a specific object, maybe a specific situation or an act. So as I talked about before, you know, maybe someone has a fear of elevators or getting on an elevator, things like that. The third is generalized anxiety disorder. So this is a constant worry about activities or events. And of course, this worry is greater than it should be. The fourth is social anxiety disorder. And this can occur when you are afraid of social situations. You've got kind of an extreme fear of judgment of others. So they are judging you or they are looking at you in a certain way. That's social anxiety disorder. Another one is obsessive compulsive disorder. So this is when people experience reoccurring irrational thoughts that lead you to perform kind of specific or repeated behaviors. Now, if this is also called OCD, most people have kind of heard of this. It is not a very, very common disorder, but 
it is extremely debilitating and it stops people being able to live their life normally. Separation anxiety disorder is also, uh, this one's quite common actually. So separation anxiety is often seen in children, particularly for their parents. So this is kind of fear of being away from home or being away from your loved ones. And of course, you know, I say it's a lot more common in kids, but it definitely occurs in adults as well. Another anxiety disorder is illness anxiety disorder. So this is having anxiety about your health. Now, you may have heard of kind of the term hypochondriac. Now, this is what it used to be called. So anxiety illness disorder is, I guess, being a hypochondriac, so being overly worried and experiencing really, really intense emotions around your health, even when nothing may be wrong. And the final type of anxiety disorder is PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, this is anxiety following a traumatic event. So when something happens to someone that is quite traumatizing, people can experience this PTSD. So anxiety can come about in many ways based on many different experiences. So of course it is very individual and you may not react the same way someone else reacts. And of course, I've just touched on all those different anxiety disorders. There is so many different boxes, I guess, that people can fit into. It can be totally different depending on each person. So most people feel quite out of control of their body when they're experiencing anxiety disorders. And some kind of common feelings include, you know, butterflies in your stomach or a racing heartbeat, things like that. Further symptoms of anxiety include, as I said, increased heart rate, rapid breathing, restlessness, people can become quite sweaty, you can have trouble concentrating, as I said as well, you know, difficulty sleeping, you can even experience insomnia. Some people tremble, so that's when you become quite shaky, you know, your hands are a bit shaky, you can experience weakness, and also digestive issues. So it doesn't only affect, you know, as I said, the major difference between, you know, experiencing like a little bit of anxiety, and that can cause you to be a little bit shaky, be a little bit nervous. The reactions of anxiety disorders are a lot more physical, and they really do affect a lot of your body, not only your mind, but your physical body too, and I will touch on that later on in the episode. I just want to reiterate again as well that everyone experiences anxiety differently. It is, of course, completely individual and your symptoms may not be the same as other people. It's also just so important to remember that if you are experiencing these kinds of things, maybe you're listening to this now and going, you know, I do feel like maybe this is something that I am experiencing now or have experienced in the past. It's so important to remember that you're not alone. This is a really, really common thing that people experience every single day. And there is always help out there for you, no matter your circumstance, no matter who you are, either, you know, those organizations that have those uh, phone numbers and those chat lines and things like that for you, or, you know, your GP, things like that. I will, of course, touch on this in more detail later in the episode, but just want to point that out. So a major aspect of anxiety is something called an anxiety attack. Now, an anxiety attack is the kind of overwhelming worry, the distress or the fear. Uh, And this can build slowly over time, maybe over a day, even just over an hour. And when an anxiety attack occurs, it can kind of feel like an explosion. And it can also kind of occur out of nowhere. So certain triggers can set people off and this can be anything and it can make no sense. So 
just before I get into this story, I have experienced a mental illness. I've experienced a anxiety disorder in my life. I shouldn't say experienced. I'm still still experiencing it. I think if people, you know, people who have had or dealt with mental health conditions, you know that it's a kind of forever thing that you have to manage and deal with. And that's really important to know as well. But in terms of triggers and things like that, I never understood it. I never got what that meant. I knew, you know, I'd heard that word being thrown around. I'd seen it on on Instagram and things like that. And it wasn't until about a year ago when I was really experiencing kind of the height of my anxiety. And I I got it. I was like, oh my gosh, there are these random things that can happen that can just set you off for no reason. And I guess that's why this conversation is so important and I am really passionate about opening up the conversation because when these things were happening to me, I really had, you know, at the start of it, I had no idea what was going on. It was really frustrating, definitely as someone who, you know, I was quite confident. I still am quite a confident person, but if you talked to me a year ago, I could never have gotten on this podcast and I could never have even put myself out there in this way, you know, and this isn't even, I'm talking to myself technically right now. So it is just so important. And I know this is something that schools really miss. Our society misses it in general. We don't talk about it enough. We don't open up the conversation enough. So using this platform and this podcast, and I want to encourage everyone to not only understand or, you know, inform themselves about what anxiety is and what these kind of mental health conditions are, but how to deal with them yourself, how to take responsibility for your own mental health and how to help the people around you. So coming back to anxiety attacks, they also, of course, vary in the same way as as normal anxiety does. So symptoms may vary, but general symptoms include feeling quite dizzy or faint, having a shortness of breath, having a dry mouth or sweating, you know, getting hot flashes, feeling, you know, a really intense feeling of worry or restlessness. Uh, your heartbeat can increase and you can also have a fear of dying or just completely losing control. And it's quite interesting because symptoms of these panic attacks are similar to those of people with heart disease, people with thyroid problems, people with breathing disorders and other illnesses. So often people with panic disorders or experiencing panic attacks, they'll make trips to the emergency room because they'll believe they're experiencing a life-threatening condition that isn't anxiety, which is absolutely crazy that that is how horrible these things make you feel. They make you feel like you are dying in some circumstances and maybe there isn't anything wrong in terms of, you know, your physical body. There's not any other illness going on. It's just that you are experiencing a anxiety disorder at the time and having an anxiety attack. So why do we get anxiety? What is it that occurs in our body and our brain that we wake up one day and maybe just go, oh, I don't want to do that. And I feel fear about this certain thing or that certain thing. Why does that happen? It's actually not really known. And doctors don't completely understand anxiety disorders. But of course, there are things that can occur, uh, such as traumatic experiences. These can trigger anxiety. So of course, if you experience something really traumatic, you it's you know it's very natural that you may be scared of that thing or that situation in the future 
Of course, genetics play a massive role as well. Mental health conditions can be passed down from your parents. It is likely that if you have family history of these type of disorders, that if you are feeling a certain way, it is important that you go and get checked out or that you do actually even understand your family history in that way for mental illness because it may explain some things to you. It may explain, you know, maybe why you're feeling a certain way at a certain time and that can be really, really helpful. So if you haven't had that conversation with the people in your life, you know, if you do have parents that you can ask or grandparents that you can ask, that's really, really important to do as well. And I think, of course, approaching that in a really gentle way is really important as people can struggle to talk about it, often people who are a bit older too. But uh, in terms of understanding maybe if you are struggling and why you are struggling, that can be really, really helpful. Anxiety can also be caused by an underlying health issue, and it could actually be the first sign of a physical illness, not a mental one. So that's important to understand too. Your body may just allow that response to happen because something is actually going on physically. So it can be really important to go to the doctors, or it is really important to go to the doctors and get yourself checked out. And anxiety is often accompanied by other mental health conditions. So things such as depression or bipolar disorder as well. I am going to cover these two conditions in a further episode so I'm not going to talk about too much of that side of things in this episode. So moving on now we're going to talk about the effects on our brain. So when you experience stress and anxiety three parts of your brain are involved. Now we've got the brain stem which is our survival brain. We've got our limbic system, which you will recognize that term if you listen to the cocaine episode. That involves your hypothalamus, your hippocampus, and your amygdala, and that is your emotional brain. And you've got your frontal lobe. So that's your smart brain or your thinking brain. So it's really easy to kind of break that up into three different sections. So over the years, of course, our brain and bodies have evolved, but technology and society in general is moving along much quicker than the evolution of our bodies and brains. So sometimes we can't keep up with everything that's going on and we respond to stress as if we're being chased by a bear and it's, you know, 200,000 years ago. Our body is continuously and our brains are continuously trying to play catch up. We are getting so much thrown at us in this day and age that it's really, really hard for our brain to process it all. And this just means that our brain can't always tell the difference between danger and stress. So our brain is just trying to protect us. And this is when we experience the fight, flight, or freeze response. And I think now that there is a fourth as well, which is called fawn or something where you try and be cute to save yourself. But I think the main three are fight, flight, or freeze. So in a stressful situation, you are likely to respond in one of those three, or I guess four ways. Now, the brain responds in this way just to keep us safe. And you'll be happy to know that after this experience, our brain actually does go back to normal and it does function as normal, which is great. (laughs) But when we are under threat, your brain will flood your nervous system with hormones and chemicals designed to help you respond to that threat. So these are chemicals in the brain such as adrenaline or cortisol, and they are really helpful for high stress events, but in the long term can be harmful to physical health. So of course, as I stated earlier, having anxiety disorder kind of means you are feeling fear 
constantly. So if you are, your brain is flooding your nervous system with those hormones and chemicals that are designed to respond to high stress events, and that's just staying the whole time, you're constantly full of adrenaline, you're constantly full of cortisol, that's going to have really bad effects to not only your mental health, but your physical health as well over the long term. So when we look at our brainstem or our survival brain, this is responsible for keeping you alive. So that's pretty self-explanatory. So your survival brain is responsible for keeping you alive. And this controls things such as your heart rate, your breathing rate, your body temperature, your sleep-wake cycle, and any kind of movement and things like that. Now, when your survival brain is stressed, it prioritizes survival functions. So you experience things such as a rapid heartbeat. Now this happens or your heart beats faster so that you can breathe in more oxygen if you need to run away and you experience that flight. And you also experience extra energy. So you're using extra energy so that your limbs can move faster or be stronger in case you need to, again, run away or fight. So the second part is our emotional brain, which is, of course, our limbic system. So our emotional brain regulates our emotions. So when we're stressed, our emotions are far more intense. So this kind of acts like a warning system that helps us respond to threats really quickly. And the third is our smart brain. So this is our frontal lobe, and this is responsible for higher functioning and our deep thinking. So it controls our community communication processing as well, which is, of course, our reading, our writing, our talking and our listening skills. It's also responsible for our, you know, critical thinking and our problem solving. So, of course, when we're stressed, uh, we don't really have time for that. So our smart brain actually temporarily, I guess, goes offline when you're in danger. And the energy that your smart brain would normally use is then sent to other prioritized brain and body systems so that you can fight or flight or freeze. So now I'm going to go through effects to other parts of the body. So besides your brain, of course. Now, I touched on this before that long-term anxiety and panic attacks and those sorts of things cause the body to release stress hormones on a regular basis. Now, this means you're kind of living in that fear, as I touched on earlier too, which can increase symptoms such as headaches, dizziness, or even depression. Now, when your brain floods your nervous system with hormones and chemicals designed to help you respond to a threat, it can affect other parts of your body too. So one key part is the cardiovascular system. So because you get quite a rapid heart rate generally, uh, you can experience heart palpitations and chest pain. There is also an increased risk of high blood pressure and heart disease that comes along with that. The next is the excretory and digestive system. So anxiety can cause you to have stomach aches. It can make you feel nauseous. You can experience diarrhea, loss of appetite. There may also be a connection between anxiety and IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, which causes vomiting, diarrhea and constipation as well. So it does affect your stomach in that way too. Another is your immune system. So because your body floods adrenaline into your system when you're feeling really anxious, your pulse increases, your breathing rate increases, and that is so that more oxygen can get to the brain so that you can respond to the situation. 
So if you repeatedly feel anxious, a weakened immune system can occur as the body never goes kind of back to that normal state. And that's when frequent illness and viral infections and things like that occur. And to kind of make it relevant to this day and age and what's going on right now, it also weakens the ability for vaccines to work in your body. The last one I'm going to go through is the respiratory system. So because when you experience anxiety and things like that, it can cause you to have that kind of rapid, shallow breathing. You're not doing those nice, slow, deep breaths. Uh, This can actually make asthma symptoms worse for those who have asthma too. So I guess it is really, really important to make sure that if you are experiencing anxiety and you do feel like you are maybe getting to the point where you have an anxiety disorder, it's so important to know that it isn't just affecting you mentally. And I guess this highlights the importance of taking care of your mind. So a lot of us really care about exercising and eating well, and those things are, of course, so important. However, the effects of mental illness on your brain also affects your body. So it is essential to prioritize both. And if you sometimes feel anxious or nervous or stressed, it's so important to know how to handle that. And I have some tips coming up now that will definitely help that. However, if you are one of those people who experience anxiety to the point that it is interfering with your life, you most likely do need professional help. So when should you go see a doctor about this kind of thing? So when I was going through my really intense, anxious feelings and I didn't really know what was going on or where to turn to, I found it was really helpful to hear personal stories from other people when I was kind of in that position of not knowing how to seek or where to seek proper help. It got to the point in my life where I was unable to get out of bed. I couldn't go to uni. I couldn't get on a train out of fear. And this was only a year ago. So, I mean, it was definitely highlighted by the pandemic. And I understand that particularly for people in Melbourne right now, some of these feelings may be heightened for them as well. And as I said earlier, I would never have been able to create a podcast or speak like this about my situation just a year ago. So while I do like to keep this whole thing quite factual, I just want to point out that at the time, I know how it feels to be frustrated or feel like you can't handle your life or anything that you would normally find easy to do. But I do want to point out that it does get better. There is help for you regardless of your personal circumstances. And of course, if you keep listening, I will tell you what you can do to seek help for yourself or for someone that you are worried about. It's also really important to point out that you don't need to be at rock bottom of any mental illness to seek help. And this can be from professionals or family or friends. In my personal opinion, I think everyone should go to therapy or have access to therapy, uh, at least for a time in their life. And we can do that anytime in Australia. However, it can be really, really expensive. So luckily for us in Australia, for us people who maybe can't afford it, mental health plans are available. And as I said, you may feel that you need a mental health plan because this anxiety is getting in the way of you being able to function in your normal everyday life. And when you are not able to do things that you would normally do or do things that were once quite simple out of fear or out of judgment, that's when you kind of know that maybe you should reach out. If it gets to that point and you don't really know what's going on, remember that the best thing that you can do for yourself is to reach out to someone else, to reach out to a professional, to call one of those helplines 
confide in a friend, anything like that, you will feel better afterwards. It will just reiterate the fact that you are not alone in these situations and that there is always help for you. We're halfway through the episode and that means that it's time for a brain break. Take 30 seconds now to reset, recharge and breathe. Okay, let's get back into it. So in terms of mental health plans, I sought a mental health plan one year ago. It did used to be something where you would go to the doctors, you get 10 sessions for therapy if they think that you need it. And yeah, you get referred to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Now, uh, due to COVID, you actually get 20 sessions per year. What happens? You go to your doctor or your local GP. If you don't have one, that's fine. Just any normal doctor will be able to help you. However, of course, if you do have a doctor that you go to quite regularly, uh, I would suggest going to them. And you request a mental health plan. So this is something you should let them know before your appointment because you can only do your mental health plan in this appointment. So they will assess you, which means they just ask you some questions and you also fill out this kind of questionnaire. It asks you about your mood, asks you a few little questions about how you're feeling or how you felt over the past week or the past few months. Uh, And then they will refer you to a psychologist based on your answers. So it's kind of like a, a point scoring system. They test you for mainly both anxiety and depression. And if you have high points in those areas, then they will then refer you to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So they might have one on site. A lot of doctors uh, do actually have one on site. Otherwise, they can just give you a referral and you can find your own mental health professional to help you. I did that. I didn't use the one at my doctor. I actually, I guess, shopped around a little bit and found someone who I felt was the right fit for me. And that's also really important. So the difference quickly between a psychologist and a psychiatrist as well is that a psychiatrist can actually give you medication they can diagnose and they can treat you whereas a psychologist is counseling only so if you need further medication and things like that that has to be given by your gp and they will actually talk to one another your psychologist and your gp to determine whether or not that is suitable for you Now, as I said, I didn't pick the psychologist that was at my doctor's. I called around. So you might actually try a few different psychologists before you find a good fit for you. This is really important, as I said, just because it is you're going in and you're sharing really important parts of your life. So you want to make sure that you're sitting down with someone that you do feel comfortable with. I always talk about vibes, which is (laughs) a little bit of a weird way to talk about it. But, you know, if you've got good vibes with your psychologist you feel like you can sit down and you can have those really honest conversations with them uh, and you feel comfortable to do so that is of course so important so once you do find someone that maybe does fit 
you in the right way. Your mental health plan is then used. So that means that you have to go back and check in with your GP every six or so sessions. Now that's just to see if you need to continue using it. Now, something else I know for adults, they are not free. So this, so just because you've got a mental health plan, that doesn't mean that the psychologist is free. It is subsidized by Medicare and some will be cheaper than others. So depending on where you go will depend on the overall subsidized cost. So I know people who spend quite a bit of money. It just depends on, you know, who you pick and where you end up. Now, of course, if you are a student or you have a healthcare card or you go to school, whatever it is, you can get more money off, I believe. And, you know, they can generally do cheaper rates for you on top of that subsidy because you are classified. If you do have like a healthcare card or something like that, you are classified as being a lower income. So therefore there is further subsidies due to that as well, which is probably important to know for some people, definitely young people. And it is also important to know that you have, you know, if you are at school, maybe you don't have that support or that money to go in and pay for a psychologist. There is always, always options at schools. School counselors are free for students and every school will have a either, you know, a wellbeing coordinator or a school counselor of some sort that you can go and talk to. So please remember that if you are in a position and maybe you are, I don't know, underage or you just don't have the money for it or you're a student, even universities do have those options. So it is really good to check in and see if that is available to you as well. And I guess that's why it's even more important to lean on your family and your friends and to confide in the people that you trust and to be open about your feelings because talking about it to anyone will help you. It's equally as important for every single one of us to be open about these conversations and to open them up with people that we care about. You know, if you were talking to a friend and you are worried about them and they've been acting different, don't just let someone say they're good or they're fine. If you're noticing off behavior, reach out and just, even if they don't want to speak about it at the time, make sure that they know that you are there for them if they need you. And you never know how this small effort may affect someone. It might be all it takes for someone to feel like they can open up to you, they can talk to you. And if they're not able to get the help that they're needing at that time, you can at least be there for them. Now, if you're someone who is, you know, experiencing these kinds of feelings and you don't feel like talking to anyone you know, I know that fear of judgment can be a huge factor in this and it can make it really, really hard to open up to people. So please, if you are feeling like that, utilize the health services that we have here in Australia. And we have all these organizations and their entire purpose are to help people for this reason. So Beyond Blue is absolutely awesome. They're available 24-7 for confidential support. And that number, once again, is 1-300-224636. So now I'm going to go through testing and testing for this mental health condition. Uh, so once you see a mental health professional, they can help to diagnose and determine whether or not you have a certain condition and more may come up than you think. It can also allow you to find answers to why you act in certain ways. And that's why therapy is really great not just for people who are, you know, feeling really bad or or feeling like they need the professional help, but for everyone. It can actually help you explain or get answers 
answers for why you may react to situations or why this kind of anxiety disorder is coming up in the first place. So now I'm going to go through just, I guess, getting tested for anxiety disorder or really any other mental health condition. Once you start seeing a mental health professional, they can help to diagnose and determine whether or not you have a certain condition. Now, most mental health professionals will use a range of different methods to determine whether or not you have anxiety disorder and whether or not uh, medication could be the answer for you. They're generally done through diagnostic testing. So this is lots of questions that you have to answer really honestly. Now, treatments for anxiety vary. Some people can go and see mental health professionals and don't need to go on any medication and can use other kind of behavioral and lifestyle changes in order to improve their mental health. And I'm sure people hear that all the time. You know, there are those tips and tricks that we hear and that I'm actually going to tell you guys about in a minute. But some more specific kind of treatments are things such as CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And this tests how you react and think about certain situations. And then you do these activities to change these reactions. So this could be a whole lot of different things. As I said, anxiety is very individual. So when you see a a professional, they will decide what kind of therapy and what kind of treatment is best for you. There is also medication to treat anxiety, and this is often antidepressant medication, which helps manage anxiety even if depression is not a symptom. So when you have anxiety disorder, certain brain chemicals can change. So this is things like serotonin, noradrenaline, and dopamine. So they're kind of our happy hormones, things like that. And medication is designed to correct that chemical imbalance in the brain. Now, there's two main kinds that you'll kind of find in Australia. The first is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So these are also called SSRIs. Now, they help you with anxiety and depression, and they kind of act to turn the volume down on our anxious thoughts. So they help you engage in mindfulness. They kind of slow everything down a little bit, and it just allows people to focus on being able to be a bit more present, stress less about the past and the future, and are able to kind of come into themselves and have clearer thoughts. So there is, of course, some side effects to this. They do include things like nausea, drowsiness, headaches, uh, lowered sexual arousal as well. But Usually people find that between one and two months, those symptoms go away. In addition to this, SSRIs are actually quite safe long-term because they're not addictive and it's pretty hard to overdose on this medication. So they are fairly safe. Now, stopping this medication, however, or going cold turkey is really harmful and can cause fever, nausea, panic attacks, and even hallucinations. So if you were ever put on any of these kinds of medication, always wean off them if you're wanting to get off them with help from a medical professional to avoid a state of psychological or cognitive imbalance. The second type of medication is something called benzodiazepines. So these are drugs that slow down messages from the brain and body. And you might recognize 
the words Xanax or Valium. These are benzodiazepines. So they strengthen the effect of the neurotransmitter GABA, which acts as like a, a turn off signaler in the brain. And GABA plays a role in sleep, in feeling calm, in that muscle relaxation, that, you know, reduction of brain activity overall. Now, benzodiazepines reduce the intensity of muscle tension, of headaches, of panic attacks, of sweating, and can even help with insomnia as well. And of course, they reduce worrying symptoms of anxiety. Now, the only thing is with these kinds of drugs, they do not stay in the system very long. So they are just temporary relief for certain situations. You might use them if you are presenting, if you're going for a job interview, maybe if you're traveling on a plane and that's something that you're fearful of, they can cause drowsiness, confusion, dizziness, impaired coordination, and in some circumstances, they can cause people to experience depression. And this is important to know that they are not safe for continuous use as they are pretty addictive. So it is really, really important that people use these as prescribed and not any more than that. Mixing alcohol is also very dangerous when you are taking benzodiazepines and it is not recommended for people with suicidal or addictive tendencies. So moving on now to some tips and strategies for managing anxiety. Now, this can help you if you do actually have anxiety disorder or some kind of anxiety disorder, uh, or it can help you if you just want to lower your stress levels in general. The first, of course, is the power of breathing deeply. So I shared a video on my Instagram recently about the box breathing technique. This is a really great technique that you can do. It's quite quick. You don't need to do it too many times. If you're like me, I struggle to sit down and just be still and mindful and things like that in my life. So I like to use these kind of breathing techniques that aren't too long or that make you feel like you have to sit still for a really long time. And you can also do any of these kind of techniques anywhere. And of course, there are so many of them, but even doing just some relaxed deep breathing for two minutes can help you calm down so much. Uh, there is also a really, really great function on the Apple Watch. If anyone has an Apple Watch, the breathing function on that is absolutely awesome. I know when there has been times that I felt quite over overwhelmed with anxiety, uh, I would use that. And it's great because it kind of vibrates on your wrist at the same time. So you have something to focus on and it does take your attention away of that kind of fearful feeling you've got at the time. The second is exercise. So the fight or flight response causes the body to flood with adrenaline and those other stress chemicals we talked about. And exercise actually burns up those stress chemicals and promotes relaxation. So you're using all that pent up energy and you're getting it out when you exercise. And I know in this day and age, I feel like people put a lot of pressure on themselves to, you know, make sure they're exercising, doing the right thing or the right this or the right that. And there's so many opinions, especially on Instagram, especially online, you know, and there's a, should I do cardio? Should I do this? I just think that everyone needs to go back to basics. If you're one of those people that's feeling a little bit stressed about it, you know, you've already got anxiety potentially. Maybe you're feeling stressed about something else. Just go back to the basics. The guidelines say get one hour of moderate to vigorous activity per day. That's all you need to do. And whether that's done in 10 minute blocks, 
It doesn't matter. You can walk, you can run, you can swim, you can lift weights, you can do whatever you want. As long as you just move and you really release that pent up energy that you've got and that stressful, nervous energy that you've got in your body. The third is, of course, eating well. So some people say that your gut is your second brain. Now, there has been a lot of research that's gone into this where they think that what we eat directly impacts the way that we think and feel, and it can impact our mental health just as much as it impacts our physical health. So I guess with that in mind, if you are filling your body with things that are bad for you, Generally, in the long term, you probably won't feel that good. And that's not just because it's bad for your body physically. It can actually impact your mental health. So that doesn't mean never eating comforting food or food that's, I guess, good for the soul. It just means that it's important to be conscious about the things that you are putting into your body and what you are consuming. Now, again, a lot of people, I think, are so influenced online these days, and there is a lot of information going around. There's a lot of stuff and, you know, telling us how to eat and what to eat and this diet and that diet. And it is really hard and overwhelming sometimes. So I guess if you are one of those people that feels like maybe you're feeling a bit lost and you're just thinking, oh my gosh, what do I eat? What is good for me? Go back to basics. The dietary guidelines are there to help you try and eat five vegetables, three fruits, some carbohydrates, Unless you are following a really, really strict diet plan for maybe fitness purposes or, you know, other health purposes, just keep it simple. Eat the things that you like and just try not to complicate it too much. Another tip is to get enough sleep. So of course, we should all know that a lack of sleep is absolutely terrible for you. And that doesn't mean, you know, going to bed at 6 p.m. and having 12 hours. It means trying to get at least seven to eight hours as an adult and knowing the tips and strategies that can actually help you sleep, which I'll go through a few in a moment. But of course, lack of sleep does increase levels of stress and anxiety in the body. It can increase those feelings of restlessness. I like to use a little rule that the hours before 12 are the hours that count. So I try and make sure I'm getting at least two and a half to three hours sleep before 12 a.m. That might be something that you want to incorporate. There is obviously a lot of little tricks and tips that people can use, but uh, I found that that really helped me kind of get in the mindset to go to sleep a little bit earlier. Number five is, of course, avoiding alcohol and other drugs. So alcohol and drugs can directly increase the risk of experiencing mental health conditions such as anxiety. Alcohol and drugs affect the way your brain functions in many different ways. If you are actually um, more interested in that, I would recommend listening to the two episodes released before this on cocaine and cannabis. There will be more, of course, on alcohol and things like that in the future too. Another strategy, which I just know we've all heard before, but it's to take a break, whether you are a student, whether you're working really hard, whether you're on your phone too much. We live in a society that tells us that we have to be productive, have to be consuming things and doing things all the time. And that has a really big Big impact on our mental health. I actually heard recently on a podcast uh, with Cooper from the Good Human Factory, he said that 1% of your day is only 14 minutes. And I feel like we can all afford to take 14 minutes out of our day and either, you know, dedicate that to our mental health or use that time 
to do something good for us. And social media breaks are huge. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in Australia at the moment. And making sure that, I guess, you know, we don't have control over what we're consuming when we're on apps such as Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. You don't know what's coming up next. You don't know whether what you're consuming is going to be putting you in a good mood or make you feel really gloomy about the world. And I think that is important to remember that it's okay to switch off your phone. It's okay to take a break from things and to maybe just connect with the people in your life on a different level now. And I know that that's hard in lockdown and when you know you can't see people outside of your household but it's also important to take time to just be with yourself and be comfortable in doing that too another big one which is probably the most important to me personally which is practicing meditation and mindfulness and again we've heard these words before but they are so good for you And I know it's not easy. I really, really struggle to sit down and to stay really still or kind of block out my thoughts. But I think the hardest part is actually making the time to do it. So making the time to give yourself that time to settle with your thoughts, just be by yourself. Now, I talk about routine a lot on my Instagram, and I think that everyone should make meditation and mindfulness practices part of their routine. And once again, this can only be for two minutes. It doesn't have to be for a really long time. Gratitude is also something that we should be practicing. Now, this is under, of course, meditation and mindfulness as well, but I think a lot of us have lost sight of having either two little or comparing our lives to others, especially on social media. And sometimes it might feel a little, I guess, trivial to sit down and write things that you're grateful for. You may feel that it's repetitive or that you can't really think of new things. And I know I've had that and it stresses me out a little bit. But I think changing those prompts and maybe saying instead of three things you're grateful for, three specific good things that happen to you in a day and look for those three good things. I know when I struggle to sleep, instead of writing these things down or talking about them to someone, I think about three good things that happened to me that day. And it really, really helps me at resting my mind, focusing on one thing, and that allows me to relax. Another thing that I used when I was teaching on placement recently was using or planning for gratitude and kindness. So for example, I would give my students a prompt, what can you do this weekend that is nice for someone else? And this could just be, you know, helping your mum clean the house or smiling at everyone you walk past on your morning walk. It doesn't have to be something that cost you money. It doesn't have to be something that costs you time even. It can be as simple as smiling at people when you walk down the street and that could, you know, that smile or that interaction can make you feel so much better or can make someone else feel a lot better. Now, of course, yoga is also really, really great in this sense too. It is kind of a meditative practice in its own right. Meditation, mindfulness, yoga, any of these things, there are so many resources. So for me, I use the Keep It Cleaner app. They have pretty much all of this on this app. Otherwise, the Resilience Project is really great. Of course, looking at websites such as Beyond Blue and Lifeline, they have a lot of different resources there too. 
You can also use Spotify, you can use YouTube. The uh, options are endless for us now with the technology that we have. So make sure, you know, if you were following that kind of routine trick that I popped up on Instagram, make sure that you add mindfulness or meditation to it somewhere in the next few weeks. If you were slowly adding things, please add one of these practices. Another tip, my final tip for today is opening up the conversation. So that's exactly what I'm trying to do now with this. I guess, you know, it is easier said than done. And sometimes it's a lot easier. For example, for me, I feel like I'm kind of on the other end of my mental health journey where I am figuring out the things that really work for me. And if you're someone that's kind of really struggling right now, it might seem a lot harder for you, but I would really, really, really encourage people, you know, if you are feeling down or you are worried about how you are feeling emotionally and mentally at the moment, reach out and talk to the people around you because at this time, especially for people in Melbourne, you are not going to be alone and just talking about it can help so much. Never be afraid to be vulnerable with people. Never be afraid to talk about your feelings. Help in breaking down these kinds of the stigma and open up the conversation around mental health and make it something normal between you and your friends. And make sure, once again, if you have someone in your life that you are worried about, talk to them about it. Make sure you look them in the eye and you tell them that you are there for them or look them in the eye of a FaceTime as it is right now. But you never know the impact that that may have on someone. Now, in terms of coping with this, and maybe you have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and you're at the point where you don't really know what to do or you don't really know how to feel about it, What can you do for yourself? So I guess the first thing you can do, whether or not you are one of these people experiencing it or not, is be knowledgeable about it. And you're listening to this podcast. So of course, hopefully now you are more knowledgeable about it and you're going in the right direction. And I would encourage everyone to at least have a base knowledge on how anxiety actually affects the mind and the body and the things that you can do to help that, not just for yourself, but for other people too. Another thing is being consistent. So once again, creating that routine. If you are someone who's going to therapy, making sure you're going when you're meant to, following the proper treatment plan that you're given and taking responsibility for those things, taking responsibility for your mind and for your mental health. Knowing yourself, something as simple as knowing yourself is also so important. So knowing what triggers you and practicing coping strategies around that. And that of course, is often created with your mental health professional because it is very individual once again. Writing it down can also be a really great strategy. So keeping a journal of how you feel day to day, penciling out a time to do this every day. Once again, I'm harping on about it, but creating that routine, creating that plan and sticking to it, making sure that you start small, you can add things as you go and being flexible about it. And always remembering that there is professional help available to you. So this can be your doctor, your psychologist or psychiatrist, your school counselor, your community health center, uh, Beyond Blue, which again, the number is 1300224636. Lifeline is also really great. Their number is 131114. And please remember that now is more important than ever 
to lean on your friends and family, lean on the people that you trust and make sure that you're checking in with the people that you love. That is all from me today. I hope that you learned something new and you feel more informed about anxiety and how to deal with it. Remember that you are never alone. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. There is help somewhere. Also remembering that every single one of us has the power to be that help for someone else. Opening up the conversation, reducing the stigma, and just letting people know how we feel is so powerful. I hope everyone stays safe, and I will be back in your ears very soon. See you later. 